0: This morning, if you'll make your way in and head towards your seats, we're so grateful for the opportunity we get to worship the Lord together this morning. For those joining online, we're grateful that you are with us as well. Just several announcements as we begin this morning to let you know about things happening in the life of the church. First of all, there's three opportunities for you to give things to physically help other people. You've already heard about one of these before. Um, this is Meskel's Children's Center, it's a school and an orphanage in Kenya. And they're trying to stock their library. As you see in the picture there, that's the library at the school. And they don't have a lot. And a lot of us have more resource than that on our shelves at home. And so as your kids are outgrowing their educational resources, we'd encourage you to bring those in so we can send those to Kenya, to the school and the orphanage there, to Meskels. And we'll be sending you more details about it in the week to come. There's a collection bin by the Resource Center if you want to bring your educational books for elementary age. Children. The second one you also heard about just a few weeks ago from Missy Cruz is we're going to try to bless the teachers at Capitol Heights Middle School. As you know, we have a long time partnership that Seth and Megan have led at Capitol Heights, and it's one of the neediest schools in Montgomery, and it's a really a hard place to teach and to lead. And so we want to bless those teachers and help them in doing a teacher appreciation week, April 3rd to 7th. So we're collecting drinks and gift cards to be able to give to the teachers that week. And all the details are on the website. Just go to gatewaybaptist.com, click on News and Events, and you'll see all the details about what you can bring in. And we're collecting those inside the church office. And there's one more that's starting over the next two weeks is we're part of the Montgomery Baptist Association. And they have a center called the Love Loud Center downtown. It's a place where they have a food pantry, and they help with practical needs of people in our city as they try to address some of the poverty in our city. And once a year, we join with a lot of other churches in trying to stock the food pantry there. So I want to go ahead and make you aware of that. You'll be getting an email this week from us about that, but we'll be collecting canned goods and supplies and things that would be appropriate to give out to help people in need through the Love Loud Center downtown. And so we'll be collecting those in the hall also, but be watching for an email on that. So three opportunities for you to contribute books or to contribute gift cards to teachers or contribute now to the food pantry downtown to help join with other believers and making christ known and serving practical needs now a fellowship opportunity for those 50 and above this coming saturday the 25th of march there's a nifty 50s and beyond dinner to the givens home so bill and martha are back here right in front of the sound booth you should have received if you're over 50 you should have received an email this last week with directions to their house and all the details about it if you're over 50 and want to come and did not get that email see me see bill and martha see anyone on staff and we'll be glad to get you connected with them it's a cover dish dinner, so bring a dish to share. If you want to fish, you can fish with Bill in his pond. Bring your fishing pole. If you want to just hang out and play yard games, come do whatever you'd enjoy doing. But it's a 50 and above fellowship this Saturday. Also, want to let you know, coming up, there is a Bible reading marathon. We partner with other churches doing this every year downtown. It's coming up May 5th and 6th. That's a Friday and Saturday. Dale Hathaway, he's not able to be here today. He's got a sick kid, but you met him last week when we introduced new members. Dale coordinates this. It's something he loves to do. And so he wanted me to let you know he is looking for a coordinator to cover a four-hour block of coordinating the Bible reading. You'd be downtown for four hours helping get the readers up, watching the time, helping move things through. So if you'd like to serve and for four hours downtown to help coordinate a block of the Bible reading marathon downtown, please see Dale. If you don't know how to get in touch with him, contact the church office, see me, and I'll get you in touch with him. Be watching on those dates. There'll be opportunities for us as a church to have about two hours a time where we as a church are downtown reading the the scriptures out loud downtown and would love for you to be part of that. We'll send more details on that soon. Last announcement this morning. This is spring break week. Many of our friends are traveling this week. As such, there's no Wednesday night activities this week. So just want to make sure you're aware of that. Hopefully you know that. But no men's group, no ladies Bible studies, no kids club on campus this Wednesday. Enjoy the evening home with Family. Now, with all that covered, I want us to focus our minds on the Lord. Can I ask you to stand, please. I want to read to us from scripture. We're about to sing a song, and one of the lines in the song we're singing is, You called my name. We're rejoicing in the gospel and God's effectual call over our lives and how He saved us and transformed us and changed us. First Second Timothy chapter one where it describes this for us. There, Paul writes to Timothy, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor me as prisoner. But share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now he has manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Friends, let's focus our hearts and minds and rejoice in the gospel that God has brought to us and how the Lord has called us to himself. Let's sing to the Lord this morning.
1: And I was buried beneath my shame And who could carry that kind of weight It was my tomb I, made. I was free. but My God.
0: take a minute and pray to the Lord what you've just been singing. We've been singing the gospel to the Lord as a praise and worship to him about us having no debt, about his all-sufficient merit he's given to us, about the righteousness of Christ that has been given to us, about a great high priest. Would you just take a minute and reflect on the glorious truths you've just sung to the Lord and now offer that back as a prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord. Hebrews chapter four says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. If we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help. In time of need. Lord, we just want to say thank you for the gospel, the good news we've been seeing Him about. Thank you that you have heard every prayer that's just been lifted from each of these precious brothers and sisters. Just saying thank you, Lord. Thank you for your all-sufficient merit you've given to us. Thank you for your righteousness that you have given to us. Thank you for joyfully taking our sin and bearing the wrath so that we don't have to ever experience that. Lord, we say thank you. Thank you, seems so inadequate. Lord, that's all we know how to say. Lord, we pray that what we've just been singing about, what we're reflecting on from your word, will become more real to us every day. Or we don't want to be a people who get past the gospel or move on from the gospel. Lord, we want to be a people who love you and see our need of the gospel every day. Because, Lord, we confess it's not just what we needed to come to faith in Christ, it's what we need to live every day. So let us be a people who love your word and love you and love this glorious truth that we bring nothing to you but sin and everything else has been your grace gift to us. Lord, I pray we be a people who we just read in Hebrews 4 who would with confidence draw near to your throne of grace. And we confess at times when we, even this week, have not approached your throne of grace, but we've tried to do things in our own strength. And we confess that to you as sin. And we confess to you as sin the times that we don't even think about your throne of grace. We're living for ourselves and our desires and our plans and our wants. We're not even bringing our request to you. Lord, we confess to you as well just the the many times that we operate in self-sufficiency, somehow thinking that we have it all figured out or we're okay. We're reminded this morning that we have nothing but filth and dirty rags to bring to you. We can bring nothing to you apart from our sin. Everything else is your gift of grace. Even the beating of our hearts and the breath in our lungs today is not because of anything we have chosen to do. It's because of your grace sustaining us. So Lord, I pray this week that you help me, you'd help these brothers and sisters be aware of our need of your grace and that we would love thinking about your grace this week. Lord, even as we rejoice in the gospel coming to us and the all-sufficient merit we have, Lord, we are reminded this morning of the many, many, many who do not know the hope we have just sung about. Or perhaps even in this room, there are some, or we know there's some in this room who do not know you yet, who do not understand the hope of the gospel you've just sung about. And I pray today, Lord, the reality of what we've been singing and reading what we'll hear from your word in a few minutes, you would use to break through to their hearts. I think of all the many years I was a kid sitting through church hearing these type truths and my heart was cold to them. I pray if there's anyone here today who's heard these truths over and over, but their heart has not been softened to the glorious truth of the gospel, that you would do that work today and draw them close to yourself and let them see your beauty and your glory. You give them hearts to believe the gospel this day. Lord, we pray as well for those we know who do not know the gospel, family members that we love, friends, neighbors, coworkers, or people at school. We pray today that, Lord, you would open their hearts to the gospel. Lord, we pray that if you see fit, you would choose to use us to get the gospel to them. We ask that you would give us hearts to see people the way you see people, or that you would help us this week to look upon the lost with compassion and with a heart to take the gospel message to them. Lord, even as we seek to do that here, we pray for the people around the world because, Lord, we've heard this. We have access to Bibles and teachings everywhere we turn, and yet we know there's so many parts of this, this huge world where people have never even heard your name and have no access to even hear about your name. With that, this morning, we want to pray for the Khmer people, or particularly as in Cambodia, or that you would just break through to them, that they'd be freed from the, the lies of the enemy, the blinders over their eyes, of their animism and their Buddhism. And they would see that you are the only way, that you are the creator God, and you are the all-powerful one. And we pray for the Khmer people who live outside of Cambodia, those who are in Vietnam, who are a minority there. We pray that today that you would get the gospel to them. You would send missionaries, you send Cambodian and Vietnamese believers to not be afraid of the differences, and to be afraid of what would happen from their governments, but they would take the gospel with boldness to the Khmer people. They become a people who come to know you and love you and take the gospel throughout that whole region. Lord, even as we pray that, we pray for the gospel to change our lives. or that this truth that we understand of all of our righteousness being in Christ would give us a longing for more holiness in our own life. We give us a longing to treat our children, to treat our spouse, to treat our friends, to treat our bosses, to treat our employees in a way that honors Christ. And so Lord, I pray this week you would help us live lives transformed by the gospel. But we can't do that in our own strength, so once again, we ask for much, much grace. Lord, for you to do that, for you to give us not just saving grace, but you to give us transforming grace. Lord, this morning, as we study your word, as we continue in 1 Peter, we pray for Rick as he teaches your word to us this morning, as we look at these beautiful verses about this call to holiness, God, that you would let us see what you want to do in our life, that you would give us conviction of areas where our lives are not conformed to the gospel. And in your love for us, you would pursue us and grow us and mature us to being who you want us to be. Lord, we pray that you would just anoint our brother as he teaches your word to give him strength, to give him the words of life to bring to us today. And Lord, we pray you would give us receptive ears or to hear your word and to let your word change, form, transform us. We know your word is living and active and we pray you would do that in my heart and the heart of these brothers and sisters today as you conform us and shape us to be the people who you desire for us to be. So have your way, grow us and mature us to be more like Christ, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, first to fourth graders, you are dismissed to the kids' worship. You have Pastor C.J. this morning. First to fourth graders with Pastor C.J. this morning. And if you're new to Gateway, this is Rick Steen. He's one of our elders. He's going to be continuing our journey of 1 Peter this morning. Rick, we're excited about you preaching the word to us. All right, before
2: I uh, get started, I wanted to give a quick update uh, on the mission trip that we had last month. And so, uh, Caden, you've got those slides. Oh, there it is. All right. So uh, we did a trip to El Salvador, and uh, this is the ter- third trip in which we're doing some training for pastors, local pastors. Uh, it was an encouraging time. We spent time uh, in Ephesians, and uh, we go to, by the way, that particular picture is of the, the local um, cathedral in San Miguel, and we walked downtown and did some uh, on one of our afternoons just to, to see, you know, to be in the community. I walked into the uh, to the to this particular cathedral and sat down and just kind of meditated for a while. And uh, I don't know if many of you have probably been in the cathedral. It's pretty um, majestic. And as you sit there and you begin to think of God's majesty, but then the sadness, and the sadness is that which is idolatry. And throughout that cathedral, where there were people going and praying before statues, and uh, just just the sadness of knowing that they're still looking. Uh, for their sins to be forgiven based on praying to saints and not understanding what we've sung this morning in light of the gospel. And so uh, next next slide here. Um, we had about 26, 25, 26 uh, pastors, and we worked through the book of Ephesians. We kind of threw out the old curriculum and did something new with the text, and it, it was really helpful. And so uh, there was great feedback, um, a lot of uh, just a lot of gratitude in terms of understanding the text and how we structured it and gave them a better understanding of that. Next slide. Um, this, uh, the three ball head guys, uh, I didn't have the beard. Um, I'm missing the beard. I don't, my wife won't let me have a beard. Well, plus I'm a so anyway, uh, this is uh, on, the, this, on your, your left here is Mark in the front and Corey. Corey was new to the team. He did a lot of interviews with uh, pastors there to put something together to show churches what we're doing with TLI and uh, to encourage people to think about giving toward toward that organization. And then, of course, I got to, every day we were all in the car like this, headed to, to the church to teach, and uh, grateful that my daughter, uh, Kaylin, uh, could join me. And it was her first time over, overseas or in a foreign country and had the opportunity just to, to see what God was doing there and spend some time at the local, church, or local school, being with first, second, and third graders, I think it was. So, uh, anyway, uh, thank you for your prayers. Just wanted to give you that update. I um, was just excited to be with Mark and uh, again to be able to teach and to be with pastors who are just soaking it up and hearing them preach as well. All right, if you would take your Bibles and turn to, to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, and uh, I'm going to have you stand as we read verses 1 through 5. Since, therefore, with respect to this, they are surprised that you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Father, we thank you for your word this morning and we pray that you would take this word and apply it to all of our lives. Lord, we realize we live in a culture, a culture of depravity. Many times I feel, and I'm sure there are others, we feel like strangers in this land. Father, I pray that as we look to you and we grow in our understanding of the gospel and our calling to be set apart, that we would not grow discouraged, but Lord, we would look at this and realize this is the plan. You have called us to bear witness to Christ and in doing so to suffer. I pray that this morning you would give your servant the ability to communicate love and grace in the midst of this discouraging time, that those in this room, Lord, would rejoice in the God of their salvation. So, Lord, we commit this time to you and ask that you would do what only you can do, reveal yourself to us. In Christ's name I pray, amen. You may be seated. So last week, Grady expounded verses 1 and 2, in which Peter exhorts his readers to put on the mind of Christ. He says that, when you go back into the text, he says, do not, no longer live for human passions, but what? Live for the will of God. And so as we look at this, we realize that in this text, we need to ask the question, what is the will of God for our lives? Peter writes in First. Uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in some of your conduct? Occasionally? Be holy, what? In all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, and he says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, your growth in holiness. Holiness is not an option for the believer. It is what God has called every one of us who are in Christ to pursue. For as the author of Hebrews writes, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And we have sung about that. This morning, we have sung about being redeemed, that we are in Christ positionally justified. There is no more work to be done. There's nothing to add to what Christ has accomplished. But the root of our salvation, who we are in Christ, leads to a life that is different and transformed. We know that those who are in Christ have a desire to please God, at least should have that desire. And we also know that as we seek to please God and do his will, the reality is, brothers and sisters, we will suffer for that. Paul wrote to Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? Persecuted. Do we really believe that? Paul exhorts Timothy to share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. In our text this morning, Peter continues his exhortation to put on the mind of Christ knowing that just as Christ suffered in the flesh, so will his people. My main point this morning is this. As Christians, we are called to put on the mind of Christ in order to prepare for suffering and persecution from this world. Now remember that Peter begins this letter with the gospel. So if you go back to, uh, to 1 Peter chapter 1, he writes that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the Christian life begins with the reality that God has transformed our lives through the death and resurrection of Jesus. We who have been born again and have been repentant have been trusting and looking to Christ as our only hope, we know that what we are what? Not our own. We are different. We belong to God. We are a new creation, which means we have a new perspective and a new calling. Brothers and sisters, what is your new perspective this morning? What is your new perspective? Do you have a new perspective? Are we so caught up with the things of this world? And I can tell you myself that I get distracted. Get distracted with so many things in this life. I get distracted with my vocation. What's next in terms of my career? I get distracted with marriage. How am I going to do this right? Or what the last argument maybe I had was? Or maybe I get distracted with, with what? my children and their futures and what they're going to do. But the perspective that God has called us to is totally different than any of that. We have been called to look at ourselves as temporary residents here on this earth, yes? Boy, you're a tough crowd this morning. I am looking at all of you, and I seriously believe for a moment that y'all are still on Daylight Savings Time last week. I can can feel it. But the new perspective, what is the new perspective? Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.11, we read, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, yes, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against what? Your soul. There's a war going on, and the reality is, is that war is temporary because why? I am but a stranger and an exile here on this earth. And I don't know if the church believes that. I don't know if that's the case. I really begin to wonder because of our conversations and what we talk about. We are but exiles and strangers. We are pilgrims. We are anticipating what is to come, not what is. And I understand that what is sometimes drives our lives. But the fact is, is that we need to fix our eyes on Christ, knowing that there's more to come. Second part of this is, not only do we have a new perspective, we have a new calling. We have a new calling. What is our new calling? We see it in 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? Here's the purpose statement. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his what? Marvelous. Brothers and sisters, we have a new calling, and the calling on our lives is to be a people that are different. Set apart. Set apart. That, that, the, those statements, chosen race, a royal peace, a priesthood, a holy nation, a people that belong to God himself. So that we, we, might proclaim the excellencies of Christ in this world. So The Christian life is one of set-apartness, of holiness. And the will of God for our lives is to die to the old nature and to live to Christ. We are not to live according to our human passions. But what does this look like for us? Well, I will say this is all who desire to live godly will This has been the theme of Peter here in the last chapter or so. What does suffering look like in the light of the Christian life? Peter understands that Christians will suffer for what is good and righteous. Peter says in chapter 3, verse 17, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And just as we learned last week from 4.1, since Christ suffered, we can expect the same. So what does that look like? I have three points this morning in, term, in light of this. And the ex- exhortation in all of these points is it begins with putting on the mind of Christ. We must have the mind of Christ. And the only way to have the mind of Christ is to know God in his word. And so they each will start with have the mind of Christ. And here's point number one. Have the mind of Christ by considering your old life over. Have the mind of Christ by considering your old life over. We see this in verse 3 of 1 Peter 4. He says this. For the time that is past. So This is what he's talking about, the past. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want And what is it that the Gentiles want to do? Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. This, he says, is past. This is the old self. This is our old nature. This is who we once were. It's not who we are anymore. The old self has been put to death. We now walk in newness of life. We are a new creation. New thinking, new desires, new pursuits. That's what God has called us to. And what is this mind of Christ? And you say, well, Christ never sinned. He did not. But what we see in Christ's life is Christ was tempted. Remember at the beginning of his ministry? And Satan comes to him and tempts him. And what does Christ do? Christ stands firm. And he gives the gospel or the word of God in fighting and, and turning Satan aside. He gives him the truth, thus, this is the word of the Lord, thus says the Lord, right? And as we think about that, Christ modeled for us what it looks like to resist Satan and to walk in Christ-likeness. Why? Because our old self is now dead. Say it again. If you are in Christ, your old self is now dead. Does that mean we don't sin? Answer? Thank you tracking here no we realize that we are what sinners but what do we know we know that we are in Christ as a matter of fact Peter uses this word Gentiles and I hope all of you are offended because you're all Gentiles or you were that's a trick question here why because in Christ we are under the New Covenant we are God's people, which means what? We are, in essence, the new Jew. Say it again. We are the new Jew. Because when he says Gentile, he is, he is he's giving a, a contrast. It's purposeful. Why? Because I believe, I believe that actually this book is predominantly directed toward Jews in the dispersion. That's my take. I know there's different views. But I think why I say that, why I believe that is because in the text, Peter uses a whole lot of Old Testament analogies and illustrations. And he brings it to bear and he says, look, don't be like the Gentiles. And if you're reading that today, you're going, what do you mean, Gentiles? He's using that to refer to who? Those who are not like those under the covenant. And what covenant would he be referring to? Well, now he's referring to what? The new covenant. We are not to be like those who are outside the covenant. Because why? We are now in Christ. And because we are in Christ, we enjoy all the privileges of what? Of being a new creation. Remember your life before Christ? I want you to think for a moment. Some of you may have grown up in a Christian home, in a Christian context in which you had all kinds of restraints. Praise the Lord for that. I'm grateful for But I can tell you this, all the restraints did not change my heart. Say it again, all the restraints in my life did not constrain my heart. It constrained my actions, but my heart was prone to these things. Sexual sins, which is predominantly the list in here, were those things a teenager. And I thought about that because why? As you look at this and you look at your previous life, what do you remember? How did you live in that life? Some of you may have not had those constraints. Maybe you indulged in these things. You indulged in the passions of your flesh. Brothers and sisters, what he's saying is those days are no. Well, Paul tells us, going back to Ephesians for a minute, Paul says in Ephesians 2 that we all, every one of us, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. Our unbelieving life was the one of worship of self and other idols. We were without God and therefore without hope. The nature of our pre-conversion lives included a darkened heart and blindness to sin. And that darkness and blindness led us to indulge in certain sinful activities, which partly could be those things that are listed here in 1 Peter. Debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. The combination here of sexual sin and drinking in parties were apparently common in Greco-Roman culture, and they are common today. They are common today. College students, you should know what I'm talking about. If you did not go to a place like Bob Jones University, I know you've heard of that school. Parties did not happen there. But if you grow up, if you've been in any kind of state school or private school, you know that the sinful desires of the flesh are evident everywhere. But Paul lists more than that, that isn't he? you look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, he lists such things as adultery, homosexuality, stealing, greediness, revilers, and swindlers. The list here is not exhaustive. but how, However, we see within this list that this is the world's conduct. What is sad, what is sad, hear me, what is sad and disheartening is to see many churches in the culture no different than the world. As one commentator put it, Life as an ongoing fraternity party is a major problem in the church today. This is not, again, I want you to hear me. Not poking here at gateway because I don't know all your lives. But you need to be aware. If we are not there in person, the commentator goes on to say, we are all too often present through what we watch on television, see in the theaters, or watch on the internet. And we take delight in it. And for a moment, I have to ask, wait a minute. That's not what I am if I am in Christ. It's incongruous. It's incongruent. It's, it doesn't make sense. Here I am in Christ, and yet I'm taking joy in what? How is that possible, Peter says? Your old life is dead. And by the way, Peter's not afraid to address this head on through the churches, in the dispersion. He understands that if believers are to have the mind of Christ, they must, what, flee from the sins of their past. Say it again, flee from the sins of your past. I want no part of that. Why? Because sin destroys the soul. Sin destroys the soul. I say that with love because I want us to walk in Christ. Love him above all things. Some of you may be thinking, but this doesn't, this doesn't describe my life before Christ. And that, again, may be true. But in Scripture, we are told again and again what the unbeliever is really like. And that fact is, the unbeliever is really not bothered by their sin. We know that. All you have to do is read Romans 1:18 through Romans three twenty, and you will see that the believer is unconcerned. Unconcerned. About sin. Why? Because they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They do not see fit to acknowledge God. and That their heart is hardened and unrepentant. Peter goes on to suggest that unbelievers are even surprised. Surprised. That we don't join them in the same flood of debauchery. Why would the world be surprised when we don't join them in drunkenness and immorality? The reason is that they themselves find joy and pleasure in that, those acts, and they find it normal. But for us as believers, we look at that and say, that's not my life. That's not my life anymore. We hate sin. We hate the sin in our own lives, and we are discouraged to see the sin in the culture around us. Point number two, have this mind of Christ by living a godly life. We see this in, I believe, and 4A He says, "For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, for jumping down to verse four, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And the question becomes is, well, why don't we join them? Why don't we join in these things? And the reason we don't join with them in these things is because we understand that our lives look different from that of the world. Why? Because we are pursuing Christ's likeness. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are to keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable. We are to live as servants of God. We are to honor everyone, love the brotherhood, and we are to ultimately fear God. After listing those sins in 1 Corinthians 6, which we just talked about, Paul concludes with these words. And such... Were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. What is the point, brothers and sisters? Paul is saying that was your life before, but not now, because now you are in Him. The life has transformed, your life is different. You love light. You are a new creation. The old has passed away. We now delight in righteousness and holiness. I love Peter. I love his letter, but I really, really like 2 Peter. And in 2 Peter, when he moves into the text, he begins with this a wonderful statement we see in, in 2 Peter 1, 5-7. Because what he starts with, he says, look, God has, div- has given us divine power to grant us all things to pertain that pertains to life and godliness, to the knowledge of him who calls us to his own glory and excellency. And then he goes on to say in verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, what is it? They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's he saying? If we are in Christ and we know Christ, our lives look so Different so much so that the world around you—they're surprised. What? You don't want to do that? No, I actually I can't. I don't because I love Jesus. Read an article this morning of a professional hockey player who plays. I think for I don't follow hockey by the way, um, but I read this article. Came across it this morning, and in the article, that particular. I don't know if it's today or whenever, they're having a day in which they're celebrating LGBTQ lifestyle, and they're supposed to wear a particular jersey. Y'all probably seen, heard this in other types of sporting events, and it made news that, hey, this guy has said no. As matter of fact, he went so far not just to say no, he goes, I can't because I follow Jesus Christ, and I can't put this jersey on because Christ. That's what it's coming to. I'm serious. It's what it's coming to. And for the older generation that are in this room, you need to encourage the younger generation because they are going to be faced with challenges that this younger generation never had to face. They're going to have to take a stand somewhere along the line and say, no, Jesus is my Lord. I cannot do that. And in the professional world, that is hard. Yes? That's hard. I can't. My conscience won't allow me. Why? Because I love Christ. This is going to surprise some of your family and friends. What? You're going to be misunderstood. You might be called names. College students, if you do this, you won't be the most popular person on campus. Not that you're aiming to be that. But it may be someone who goes, ah, eh, you know what they're like. Dad, Mom, you you will be considered strange, strange for making the word of God in the body of Christ, the church, more prominent, a more prominent place in your home. No travel ball? Probably not. Why? Because I want to be with our church. I want God's word to be central. Young person, you will probably not be invited to parties if you so desire to live for Christ. I can tell you, I can tell you, from personal experience in my role in the military is that the chaplain shows up to certain events and things get real quiet. And I realize uh, I just wanted to say hello. I'll seat myself to the door. Y'all have a good evening. I'm serious. Why? having the mind of Christ means living a life that is set apart. Final point here. Having the mind of Christ. Have the mind of Christ, excuse me, by being willing to be maligned and suffer for righteousness' sake. Peter writes that the world will malign you. Says it in verse 4b. Makes the comment. he says, look, with respect to this, they are surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they Malign you. Now, I don't know how often you use the, word, the term malign, but literally the word malign means to defame or to speak evil of you. What did Jesus tell his disciples in Matthew 5, 11, and 12? He said these things. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So this is the key here, it's not just because you have a principle that you're standing on, it's because why you love Christ on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Brothers and sisters, we should not be surprised when we are reviled or persecuted for Christ's sake. We should not be surprised. Sometimes I wonder why the church acts as if surprised when they face opposition to truth. They do. What? We're so nice. Don't you know what we do? You know how we help the community? It doesn't matter. All throughout the New Testament, we see Jesus and his disciples either suffering persecution are talking about what it means to be opposed because of God and his standards. All the disciples were martyred, except for John. And John suffered greatly. He was persecuted. And I can tell you, you know this, persecution is not something we like to think about. It's not here to be victim mentality. This is not the idea. What I'm trying to get at is this. We who are in Christ need to assume that this is the normalcy of life. This is not unusual. If you think it's unusual, then you haven't read Jesus. <laughs> you haven't. Because he says this is going to be normal, and it hurts. It's painful. But guess what the reward is? What's the reward? Heaven. Excite us! Do we not look forward to the day when we will see our Savior face to face, and we hear the words, "Well done, thou good and faithful servant"? Enter into your joy. R.C. Sproul, his book on holiness is phenomenal. All of it, it should must read. Should be a must read. He tells a story in the book, which I think is a really, really great story that illustrates people's response uh, to Christians as a, as a whole. And in this story. Billy Graham was invited to play golf with uh, President Ford and two other PGA professionals. And he writes, after the first round of golf was finished, one of the other pros came up to the golfer and asked, hey, what was it like to play with Billy Graham out there? And the pro unleashed a torrent of cursing in a a disgusted manner and said, I don't need Billy Graham stuffing religion down my throat. With that, he turned on his heel and he stormed off heading to the practice tee. His, His friend followed and said nothing sat there for a while on the bench and and waited. And after a few minutes, the anger of the pro, after it was spent, he settled down. His friend said quietly, hey, uh, okay, was Billy a little rough on you? Pro heaved an embarrassed sigh and said, no, he didn't even mention religion. I just had a bad round. Sproul goes on to say, here's what Sproul says. Billy Graham doesn't mention anything. He says, it's astonishing. Billy Graham is so identified with religion So associated with the things of God that his very presence is enough to smother the wicked man who flees when no man pursues. And I will say this. What what, what saddens me as I've seen in the church, not here, but in the church, is that I have brothers and sisters who are in ministry who are persecuted in the church because of their stand for what is wrong. I'm just not in my notes at all, and maybe that might be dangerous as I'm walking out. The elders here, Grady, myself, and the rest of the team with Greg and CJ, Jeff, and Will, we pray for this body. And one of the things that we want to do is to shepherd you well. Part of shepherding, my friends, my brothers and sisters, part of shepherding is at times to confront in a gracious way and saying, that, brother or sister, is sin. I say that because we love you and we want you to pursue Christ. We want you to know Christ. We want you to have a heart for Christ. And when we get back to this and we realize that the Christian life takes all of us to encourage one another to walk in holiness and godliness. We need one another. We need one another. This is not a Lone Ranger mentality. This is the church. This is the body. Encouraging one another and and just pursuing together Christ. And as elders, we want to encourage you toward that. And I understand. If you're in sin, there can be some uneasiness in the presence of other Christians who are walking closely with the Lord. See that as an act of God's grace in your life. Don't mock it. Don't defame it. Don't treat it with disrespect. Instead, thank God for people in the church who are modeling as much as possible and go to those people and say, I need help. I'm struggling. I close with two quick applications. First one is this. Are you willing to be maligned for the gospel? Are you willing to suffer by standing for what is right and true according to God's standards? Your context won't look different than my context. You might be a student, you might be a mom, you might be a dad, you might be married, you might be single, you might be a public school teacher. You may, there's a bunch of different ways of looking. There's military members in here whose context looks different. But my question to you this morning is this. Are you willing to say, Christ is all, and I want to live for him? And if that means being maligned, so be it. I want to be all. And the second question is this. Are you, as you looked at this text, are you one of those who are actually participating in this? Maybe you are participating and engaged in the sins that are already mentioned there. If so, God is calling you to repent. If you continue in those, and see, because we don't know, sins are hidden in so many ways, brothers and sisters, We hide sin so well. Why? Because we don't want it to be exposed to the light. We don't want people to know we're looking at pornography. We don't want people to know how angry we can get. We don't want people to know how covetous our heart is. And you read these sins and you look at them and you go, wait a minute, that's me. And if you are in those, I encourage you, I plead with you. Because if God is convicting you, and you're in Christ, and he's convicting you, don't ignore the conviction. Turn to Christ and see him as the one who is able to cleanse from all unrighteousness. And then finally, maybe you're the person who is doing those things and is not a Christian. Maybe you're enjoying these things and you say, wait a minute, I'm one of those who not only does them, I give approval to those things. And if you are not a Christian and you are living according to the world, can I tell you something? You can be free from that bondage. Today, you can experience freedom from that sin and say, look, I don't want that anymore. I want to turn to Christ, and guess what Christ will do? He will free you from that and give you a totally new life where you can live for him and glorify him and stand firm in his presence. Brothers and sisters, God is calling us to live for Christ. If We've been born again. We will gladly and joyfully suffer for his name's sake so that he might be glorified. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your truth. Lord, I pray that your word would do its work in all of our hearts. That we might see Christ Our hearts, we know, Lord, are prone to wander and to leave the God that we love. Our hearts are prone to deceive ourselves and we often justify our sin. Oh God, help us to turn from that sin, to die to our flesh and to live to you. Thank you for the grace that you show us. Thank you for the mercy, the abundant mercy that you pour out us each and every day. Thank you for the abundant mercy that we've had this morning in sitting and hearing from your word, and I pray, Lord, that you would take that word and you would do it for We thank you and we praise you in Christ's name, Amen.
1: Yes, stand, stand and sing with us. And I believe in. From the dead, and he now reigns victorious. His kingdom knows no end. Through his resurrection, death has lost its hold. And I know on that final day, arise Jesus rose. And on that day, we will see you shining brighter than the sun on that day we will know you as we lift our voice as one
2: to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forevermore, and all God's people said.